Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Monday. It is December 18th. We're going to talk about the Packer defense and letting down Green Bay when they needed it the most. We're also going to do Golden Kegs from Packers Buccaneers. We are also going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks turning the corner at the right time. And then lastly, we'll talk about Marquette getting ready for the Big East schedule. Before we get going, just a reminder, social media, tapping the keg on Twitter. We had a nice little tweet, I guess it's still called a tweet, maybe an X, go uh, viral for our standards uh, about, I used Taylor Swift. Uh, She screamed fuck in the game, and I said, when Packers put together a good drive, and then you have to watch Joe Barry's defense, uh, it resonated with a lot of Packer fans. So if you guys are, if someone's joining us from that tweet, uh, welcome in. Uh, And if you aren't following us there, the stuff we bring during the game. Also, we have the Instagram, Tapping the Keg Sports, Tapping the Keg Sports on TikTok as well, and also on Facebook. So make sure that you're connected all the places. I uh, hope you guys are having a great holiday season. Hope you guys are spreading the good word of Tapping the Keg at your holiday parties. Uh, we are four days a week. Uh, we'll have a pod today. Probably not tomorrow, then on Wednesday, we will recap Buck Spurs, Marquette Providence, big basketball night on Tuesday. And then we'll talk on Wednesday with Mitch Likely. Now, Mitch and I could do Monday, so that could change. And then we will have a prod on Friday, getting you ready for the holiday weekend, recapping Bucks Magic and uh, everything else. So uh, Marquette, Georgetown, yeah, it'll be a, be a big preview pod weekend for Friday, and that will be the show. Uh, more to come on the holiday schedule, still trying to figure out and think through what that looks like. Uh, not easy uh, with having games on the 24th and 25th. It's the type of thing where I'm really glad that this isn't my full-time job. Uh, but before we get going with the Packers today, uh, just a reminder on Apple, Spotify, Tapping the Keg Sports, you can subscribe there. Uh, you can subscribe wherever else you get your podcast. We should be there. If we're not, please let me know. Uh, I'm happy to look in and investigate and add our RSS feed to a podcast platform that you are listening to. All right, let's get into it. Let's rip off the Band-Aid and talk about this Green Bay Packer defense. After the Green Bay Packers had beat the Detroit Lions, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the then good Can- uh, San Diego Chargers, or Los Angeles Chargers for that matter, I-, I think everybody was feeling good. Everybody's hopes were sky fucking high. Uh, there's no reason that they wouldn't be, right? Uh, the Packers were playing absolutely great football and were really looking like a team that was peaking at the right time. Looked like a team that could maybe challenge Detroit for the division. That would be the wildcard team that nobody wanted to play. A certain podcast called them the most dangerous team in the NFL. Uh, But since then, the Packers have sort of fallen back down the hill. Uh, We've talked at great length throughout the year about the roller coaster that is this season. That because we have such a young team, it is not going to be a steady constant. And the level of expectation almost changes game by game because this team can really beat anybody and lose to anybody. I thought Tucker Craft was poignant after the game saying the only team that can beat the Green Bay Packers is the Green Bay Packers. He's absolutely right. This was one of the few games where the Packers did get their asses kicked, but they got their asses kicked on one side of the ball. But Kraft is right that the Packers have had so many self-inflicted wounds throughout the season 
And again, I think that is a young football team. I think last week it was a team that was coming off the hangover of winning some massive football games and couldn't exactly handle the spotlight and handle the big big pressure and the, the big lights of it all. Then this week, it was a team where the defense was outmatched because the offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Dave Canales, was eating Joe Barry's lunch. And how many times have we said an offensive coordinator is eating Joe Barry's lunch? But he ate, he had a fucking feast. He had a holiday lunch. He had like whatever, whatever is catered, whether it's Jersey Mike's, whether it's Chipotle, he ate the whole goddamn thing. And Joe Barry absolutely reared his head at the wrong time. This was the wrong time for Joe Barry to look like a disaster. And you're like, well, you can't exactly blame the defensive scheme. You absolutely can't. What Baker Mayfield did against zone defenses makes you want to punch a hole in the wall. Baker Mayfield abused the Packers zone defense. And Green Bay didn't do shit about it. They did not make one single fucking adjustment. They, they stayed in zone. They trusted their zone instead of trying something else, instead of bringing pressure to Breaker Mayfield, instead of you know adjusting their scheme. They decided to stick with their scheme and their scheme got absolutely ripped to shreds to the tune of 34 points where Tampa Bay, a NFC South team, arguably one of the worst conferences, if not the worst conference in the NFL, came into your house in December and beat your ass. And it was mostly on the defense. And it is infuriating. It is disrespectful as fans to watch this type of thing from Green Bay. It's absolutely garbage. And I know that you are all mad today. I know that you are starting your last week of work or some of you might have off, but you do credit to you or just livid because you had to watch this football game. This was the type of football game that makes you not want to watch football the rest of the day. And I'll be honest, I didn't watch a ton. I kind of had my eyes on, on Dallas Buffalo, a little bit on the red zone, but the game was trash. I didn't watch it. I watched maybe the very end of Ravens Jaguars, but I didn't really care at that point because this game had sucked the life out of me. Joe Barry had sucked the life out of me. How many fucking times do we have to go through this same Joe Barry song and dance? Last year, when they got torn up by Philadelphia and they were on an entirely different level, when Philadelphia just went up and down the field all goddamn game long, and Shane Steichen at the time, now Colts coach, was abusing Joe Barry. And the Packers were 4-8 at that point. There was no call for change. It seemed like the obvious time, and it didn't happen. And then the Packers would wail off four straight games before they lose to Detroit, and Joe Barry keeps his job. Matt LaFleur deserves all of the shit for keeping Joe Barry, for believing that Joe Barry could turn it around. That is on Matt LaFleur, and Matt LaFleur has to own that. And there needs to be real conversations with LaFleur, with Gunacoust, with Mark Murphy, with anybody else about if Matt LaFleur should be the one picking the defense. Because the defense needs to be completely restructured and play to the strengths of what the Packers have. 
Devondre Campbell is your middle linebacker, and he looks absolutely washed. And he got, I think, the most passing yards against him out of any linebacker in a, a few years. Devondre Campbell's done. And you still have a year left in that deal before you can get out of it. So I don't necessarily know how Green Bay can do that. Maybe they talk to a team who can use a run-stopping linebacker. Maybe use a line. Maybe he's better now suited in a 3-4. Maybe they can get out of it that way. But that seems highly unlikely. And yet another bad decision defensively from Brian Gunacoust, who also, Jair Alexander, was, has gotten a large deal and Jair hasn't played for the last six weeks. Is Jair not playing because he's done playing for Joe Barry? Or is Jair you know, having this shoulder injury and is basically holding out and quiet quitting. I don't exactly know. But the Packers are just, were so bad defensively. It was such a joke. It was so frustrating to go out there and watch Baker Mayfield sit back and have all the time in the world and complete third down after third down. I I mean, pick a play that breaks you, right? The fact that they were able to get 20 yards on a second and 29. The fact that they were able to get 13 or 14 on a third and 12 on a wide receiver fucking screen. The fact that they were able to hit, I think it was Godwin across the middle on a second and 18. The Packers had opportunities to win this game if they were schemed right. Baker Mayfield, which is hilarious that Matt Ryan was like, he's not a gunslinger. I'm like, have you fucking watched Baker Mayfield? And he, he didn't make any mistakes. Baker Mayfield, the last two years at Lambeau Field, I believe had like six turnovers. And instead, the Packers just let him just hang out. And I have no idea if this, the scheme was the same from Baker Mayfield year two, year, year three. But at some point, Joe Barry should have said, all right, we got to adjust. We got to change this. And also, where is Matt LaFleur? Why isn't Matt LaFleur pounding on the table and saying, Joe, you got to change this? Why did that not happen? Green Bay made no adjustments. Tampa didn't punt since the six-minute mark of the first quarter. They did. They haven't punted yet. They, You know, it, it's absolutely just hair pulling. And Joe Barry should not have a job. I understand it's Christmas. I understand that firing a guy before Christmas is tough, but that's the business. That's what you sign up for. And Joe Barry hasn't done his job. And to save this season, you have to get rid of Joe Barry. If you're okay and content not making the playoffs, then fine, fuck it. Get rid of Joe, keep with Joe Barry. Enjoy getting your ass kicked by Carolina and Minnesota. But this Packers defense has become untrustworthy really overnight. Look at the fact that Tommy DeVito and Baker Mayfield looked like pro bowlers. And that's all you need to know. I'm going to talk about it in Golden Kegs, but I'll I'll spoil it here. Fuck it. Tommy DeVito was awful against the Saints today. The Saints have not necessarily had a good season, but the Saints have done their job against bad teams. They did it against Carolina. They did it against the Giants. And they made Tommy DeVito look mortal. Tommy DeVito had 89 yards, I believe, in total. Uh, Imagine what happens when you have an actual defensive scheme. Dennis Allen is a bad head coach, but he is a good defensive coordinator. And he did a great job against Tommy DeVito. 
novel concept, right? I don't think it's that hard. And it, it, like the Packers right now, I believe are 28th in DVOA. Aaron Schatz had something yesterday that had the Packers not had the game against the Rams where Brett Rippon was absolutely terrible. The Packers would have, I believe, be 30th in DVOA before today, if not for the, the game where Stafford was out. Like, I, I just, I, I can't, I, I, it's hard to defend this. And again, that falls on Matt LaFleur. And we will see if Joe Barry is back or not this week. I think it would be a slap in the face to everybody, including the guys in that, in that locker room, if Joe Barry was back. I think the time has come. It's over. Everybody's out. There's no Joe Barry defenders. If they are, they're his family or their burner accounts from Joe Barry himself because it is, it is over, man. It, you can't get beat up by Baker Mayfield and Tommy DeVito. And herein lies the problem with Joe Barry's system and all systems that are similar to Joe Barry's. You do well against the good quarterbacks, but you struggle against the bad ones because the bad ones will take the easy passes. They will take what's there and they won't take chances. They won't take risks. And you gotta be able to beat the bad ones. And when you face the good ones, you gotta adjust to make sure they don't beat you either. That's called being a coach. We've often wondered, what is Joe Barry doing? And the, the answer is not much. And may this be the last game for the Green Bay Packers as, his, as defensive coordinator. As always, when you fire a guy, it's usually a little too late, right? You saw it with the Chargers. They fire Brandon Staley after the pathetic game against the Raiders. Brandon Staley should have not had a job a couple weeks ago and maybe would have tried to save the season. Now go, Grant Herbert gets hurt. But then you have this with the Packers and they might come up a game short. We'll see. We'll do a playoff hunt on Wednesday's show. If they come up short, they don't win out. They have a 93% chance to make the playoffs if they do win out. But we'll all point back to this Tampa Bay game and the last disaster class by Joe Barry as the reason why Green Bay is no is no not in the playoffs and drafting in the top 15 yet again. Sticking with the Green Bay Packers, uh, golden kegs for the game. Uh, if you're new here, uh, we do this every after every game. Uh, we go through the best and worst, uh, five kegs being the best. One keg being the worst, obviously. Uh, one keg could be just called the Joe Barry Award uh, for, for what we saw on Sunday. But uh, five kegs to Don Travian Wicks. Uh, man, Wicks continues to be a absolute fucking stud. He continues to be one of the brightest spots of what the Green Bay Packers have. Uh, Wicks was terrific in this game. He, I believe, had six catches. Yep, six catches, 97 yards. Uh, he completed almost all of his targets. Uh, he's just been a top-tier wide receiver. And Malafleur last week, I think, with the ESPN broadcast, compared some of the things he's able to do to Devontae Adams. Uh, I've seen other people say, you know, it, it was really the quarterbacks at Virginia that was where Wicks struggled. I, I thought Wicks would be more of a James Jones, honestly, Devontae type in terms of like, there he'd have drops. It would be a little frustrating because that was kind of his profile coming out of college. And Wicks has been a absolute stud and a revelation. And honestly, I, I look at Wicks and Jaden Reed 
And those are, to me, wide receiver one and wide receiver two. Uh, and it's not close. And I, I know Romeo Dobbs has been here longer. Uh, Christian Watson, I, I know, helps this Packer team. Really, the Packers have a offensive arsenal when everybody's healthy. Uh, and we'll talk about Tucker Craft in a second here. Um, and I just think the Packers really have a bright future with all of these guys. And Wicks could be could emerge as maybe the best of all of the skill guys. I don't think that's outrageous. I don't think that is a hot take. I, I've been really, really impressed with Dontravian Wicks and think that the sky really is the limit for him. Uh, also five keg to the Jordan Love touchdown that he had to Jaden Reed, uh, speaking of Reed. Uh, that was, I mean, oh my God. Like that, that it, it might get lost in a shuffle because the Packers were losing. Uh, and, but that I needed a cigarette after that. Like that was so sexual from Jordan Love. Uh, moving, you know, to his right, just delivers an absolute dot to Reed in the corner. Credit to Reed for keeping his feet in. Uh, just an incredible play all around. Uh, I, I mean, those are the type of plays where it just gets you giddy of what, what's next for Jordan Love. Now, there were some bad plays where his feet really weren't set. Um, that fourth down decision, which we'll talk about here later on in the Golden Keg segment. Uh, and that, that'll frustrate you, right? And I, I think, again, that's a young quarterback. He's going to have moments where it looks like the best in the world. And there's going to be other times where you're like, oh, my God, like this is not exactly what we want. And that was a version of best in the world and where you see the ceiling and you see where Jordan Love can go off in a football game. And he delivered an absolute strike there. And, and what's funny, too, about that strike is he could have ran, I think, for the first down. I think he had enough there because I think, you know, Tampa was playing man. They might have had a blitz on. And Jordan Love could have easily ran for the first down. And I was like, nah, fuck it. And it was like, it was third down too, remember. They have to have it. Packers are down. They're trailing. Uh, and then they give up another touchdown uh, to Tampa Bay. But at that point, it was like, okay, we're down seven. Like, all right, we got a, we got a shot here. Like, we're, we're in the mix. Just got to get one stop. Couldn't get one stop. Uh, but no, that was a absolute strike uh, by Jordan Love. Uh, 5K's K. Clark, I, I know the defense was bad. There were some guys that did play well defensively, and Kenny Clark was one of them. Both him and TJ Slayton. TJ Slayton I don't have mentioned here, but probably a 4K guy. Or I, Both controlled the middle really well uh, for all the bad that you had with this Packer defense. Clark really played well. Uh, he had three, he had three ta four tackles total, but he had two sacks, two TFLs. He also had a uh, pass deflection, like really good day at the office for Kenny Clark. We have seen this in the past with Kenny Clark, where he seems to get really hot here down the stretch. And maybe that's exactly what we're seeing. And it, it was a nice day for Kenny Clark. And I, you know, I gotta at least acknowledge that day, even though the defense wasn't good, you know, Kenny Clark played well. And that's, that's definitely encouraging. And I think Kenny Clark, you know, needs to show his leadership and needs to show, like, needs to bring these guys together. He's one of the leaders on this defense. And without Jair Alexander, they're going to need, you know, guys to speak up and they're going to need guys to figure this out. And if Joe Barry's staying, staying put, which I hope that's not the case, you're going to need guys like Kenny Clark to sort of rally the troops and get everybody on the same page. Four kegs goes to Tucker Craft. I mentioned I was going to talk about him later. Tucker Craft had an awesome first half. 
Uh, really, the five keg is because he didn't really do much in that second half. Uh, Tampa did a good job of scheming against him. Uh, he had four catches, 57 yards, a touchdown. He had a long of 36. He sneaked out, snuck out, and got a deep ball from Jordan Love and made it work. And I, I really like what Tucker Craft has done the, the last four, really four games. And it, it's been truly fun to watch sort of the development of Tucker Craft and how he's been playing. Uh, he's been a real asset to Green Bay and continues to look the part as a top draft pick. And to have Kraft and Musgrave there is going to make Green Bay very dangerous. I really hope that Luke Musgrave is able to play this season still. I, I don't know. Um, you know, obviously, I think his window or his IR would be over, right? Because it was Lions... Uh, he got hurt in the Chargers game, so it was Lions, Chiefs, Giants, Bucks. So, hypothetically, could come back, but it is a lacerated kidney. It's not like a ankle sprain or something like that. Like, as a serious injury, might take more time, and it'd just be a bummer if we didn't get to see Kraft and Musgrave together. Just given the maturation of Kraft, and we have to wait till next year, that'll kind of feel like we got robbed. That, and that'll definitely be in the what if category. And but also, I, I think you to not to argue myself, but. Like, would Kraft have got to this point if Musgrave hadn't got hurt? Uh, because he got the opportunity, he was able to sort of familiarize himself with Jordan Love, become a reliable option. But man, once Green Bay has everybody back, look out. Like that's why you still hold out hope, right? Because they do have guys that if they, they come back, they're gonna be very, very good. Uh, I also have a four kegger on Jordan Love. I, I felt like Jordan Love played pretty well. Uh, I love uh, Dan Katz of Barstool Sports, Big Cat, as you probably all know him. But he was like, oh, Jordan Love didn't play really well. And, and you know, I hate to see it, yada, yada. And, like, it's just clear Big Cat didn't have great eyes on this game. And that happens. I mean, we've all been there, right? Uh, but, like, Jordan Love, 29 for 39, 284, two touchdowns. Uh, he only took two sacks. He had a brutal one on a fourth down. Uh, where the Packers kind of had it poorly schemed, you know, in terms of their offensive line. His QBR was only 50, which I, I don't exactly understand QBR. I'll be, I'll be fully transparent. But, I mean, he's, he was 50 to Baker's 78. So, to me, that, that makes sense if, I, if I'm putting it all together. And then they had a passer rating of 111, which is pretty good. Like, it, that's really good for Jordan Love. And Jordan Love did his part in terms of dueling with Baker Mayfield. And it was a really solid day for Jordan Love. Again, there were some feet issues, you know, here and there. But I think when you have your quarterback only incomplete 10 passes and he completes 29 of them, I think you're going to take that, right? I'm not saying it's going to win games for you, but that's usually a sign of a guy who really has it all together. And I, it, it's tough that Love was unfortunately, you know, unable to, you know, have a defense to help him because there have been, what, a few times this season where 20 points would have won you a game. And today it, it didn't even come close. Also a four-kegger to Luke Van, Lucas Van Ness. LVN played really well. Uh, he was very good off the edge. He's coming on strong. Another guy kind of in that Tucker Craft category, maybe more on the defensive side, that has really started to put it together. He had a sack. He also hit the quarterback another time. Uh, really good stuff from Lucas Van Ness. Uh, having that could be a vital thing for Green Bay, you know, coming down the stretch. They really seem to have a pass rush. I feel like we have not heard from Preston Smith in a couple games. Uh, Preston Smith, another guy that could probably get like a one keg because uh, he's been, he was absolute like complete ghost. And again, a leader of that team. And I 
I have not seen Preston Smith in weeks. I, I can't remember the last Preston Smith sack. Uh, he's just been kind of a non-factor. And so Van Ness is coming on strong. You know, maybe more snaps for Van Ness, less for Smith. Well, we'll certainly have to see. Uh, three kegs, two to decision to go for it on fourth down uh, in the beginning of the game. Now, I know the Packers got fumbled. I missed that when I was talking about Baker Mayfield and turnovers. I forgot that we got a turnover. It, it happened so early, and then everything else went to shit. Like, that was the only good thing you got from that defense that I, I just memory hold that at fumble. My bad. Uh, so the decision to go obviously was bailed out by that fumble, right? But had the fumble not occurred, uh, you know, they, it, you could assume Tampa would have scored because Tampa scored every, every place else. Uh, I think that that was the right call to go for it and not take the points. You're down three, nothing at that point. Uh, you could go up early, you could kind of establish the lead and establish the momentum and you had a situation where I think just it was bad play calling. Like you were riding Aaron Jones for most of that drive. Then you give it up the middle three straight times and then you pass it on th- on fourth down. Like I-, I hated that decision. I would have passed it on third down or second down and then would have rode Jones for, you know, a third down or a fourth down or even Jordan Love by the goal line, right? Could have done Aaron Jones for third. He gets you a little closer. Jordan Love on a sneak gets you there uh, for the touchdown. I just hated the the structure of the play calls around the goal line. And again, that's even though the Packers get a touchdown right after that, who knows, right? What if Packers are up 7-3? What if they get a lead? Does that help the defense? Does that force Baker Mayfield into some bad decisions? Who knows? Maybe that that changes the game completely. But I, I also don't think the game changes much if it's 3-3. So I still think it was the right call. I just think the execution wasn't there. And that, that has been something for the Packers this year, right? Where they make the right decision, but they don't execute it well. And I think execution is a huge part of Green Bay next season uh, and really thinking through what, what this Packer team is. Uh, and another three keg to the remaining schedule. So the good of it is you get Carolina next week. Carolina beats Atlanta. I feel like that's huge, right? Uh, now Carolina can say, all right, well, if we win one more, we don't have the dubious. We have to give up our number one spot. I still think that makes it difficult for the Packers, but I also think there's no way the Packers can come unfocused into this game after losing two straight to the Giants and Buccaneers. I think when I was worried about this game, I was worried about it, you know, because I thought they'd beat the Giants. And I thought they'd beat the Buccaneers. And so I thought, okay, wow, huge trap game, hungover. It's Christmas Eve. You want to be home with your family, the whole fucking gamut. But now I, I think they're going to be as focused as ever. I, I think that they, you know, this is a get right game for them or should be a get right game for them. And if they're able to win that, then it's a pseudo playoff loser leaves town matchup with Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota defensively is incredible right now. Uh, amazing what happens when you get a new defensive coordinator in there. Novel novel concept, right? Uh, absolutely novel that you're able to bring in a guy like Brian Flores and he completely changes your defense. And But he did give up a ton of points in the fourth quarter. So I, I will say for as much praise as Brian Flores got on the internet on Saturday morning, he was getting his dick sucked. Like there was just a lot there. And then he completely fell apart in that fourth quarter. So I don't know. Uh, and Jordan Love is a much better quarterback than Jake Browning. I, maybe not much better, but he's a better quarterback than Jake Browning. So, and Jordan Love's seen this defense already, right? Uh, not a lot of guys have seen the Brian Flores defense, you know, for a second time. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how they adjust. And the Bears defense has definitely been better. But again, 
fell apart late and it's at home. And I think the Packers are going to want to win that game. And I, the Bears right now are verging on elimination. So I don't know where the motivation will be for Chicago. Will we see even Justin Fields or will it be Tyson Bajan? I'm not sure. Uh, but I, I, I think the Packers schedule is set up for a run the table here in the final three. Minnesota, obviously the hardest game. And you know that, that U.S. Bank Stadium has been a house of horrors. So can you know Packers you know finish that and win that game? And but they have to beat Carolina first. It it mean it, it'll be a completely meaningless if you lose to the Carolina Panthers. And I will I won't be surprised if people have it as an upset pick um, because you've seen what happened the last two weeks. It's like how can you trust this Packers team even against Carolina? Like you know, and I think there will be a lot of sort of narratives around that. Uh, two kegs to Aaron Jones. Uh, Aaron Jones, man, I, I, I like. It's not two Aaron Jones. It's forgetting Aaron Jones. Uh, Aaron Jones had an awesome start to this game. It's like okay, great. Like yeah, build a plane around Aaron Jones, and then we just stopped giving the ball to Aaron Jones uh, because the Packers felt like they had to play keep away. Uh, Jones only carried the ball thirteen times. Uh, Matt Lafleur did say he was on a pitch count. Uh, he played more snaps than what Matt Lafleur had told Larry McCarron. So maybe that was part of it, uh, and they did not want to, you know, burden the load on Aaron Jones. But it seemed like there was opportunity there for the Green Bay Packers, and it didn't really make sense, especially with a defense that was struggling to get stops. Having using Aaron Jones or even Patrick Taylor for that matter to sort of slow down, you know, Tampa and just kind of eat some clock, even though you're trailing. I think would have been beneficial to this Green Bay Packer team. So it's a little frustrating that you didn't have Aaron Jones you know, out there. Uh, two kegs also to the schedule the next two weeks. It's more for me. I think for everybody else, it's great, right? It's Christmas Eve. Uh, if you don't have an early Christmas Eve with your family, I used to back, way back in the day. My grandma RIP, we used to do noon. So that would have been tough uh, be, to do like noon Packers with all my relatives. Uh, but we don't have that anymore. Uh, it's like 4.30, so it's perfect. Like I'll be able to watch Packer game, go to my mom's, and that, that'll be it. Um, but I, I know that there'll be some of you that you'll have to deal with family for at least next week, and then if not, the week after on New Year's Eve. And New Year's Eve, it's at night at, at this point. Now, Ravens-Dolphins could easily get flexed into that spot. It's going to be very curious to see what NBC does. I think we'll know this week where Ravens Dolphins, Ravens have been on TV a lot. That's that's what, another thing, and I don't know how much that matters, but like we've had the Ravens, what? They played against the Chargers. They were on, uh, which was a Sunday night game. They had the Thursday night game against the Bengals. They're gonna be on ABC on Christmas against the 49ers and arguably the game of the year uh, in terms of just matchups, like potential Super Bowl matchup for sure. Uh, and so will they basically say, all right, we could stack the day with Ravens Dolphins to start the day, be this premier noon game. Then it's Chiefs Bengals. I also think you could swap Chiefs Bengals and have Chiefs Bengals as your lead game in noon, and then 325 be Dolphins Ravens. I don't know. I'll be very curious to see what they do with the schedule because yes, as of now, you have the Packers in prime time on New Year's Eve night, um, and. 
that you know throws it off for the young ones. Uh, for us, it's just we're partying at, at place. I think we're gonna be at the Murphy location. Uh, no comment yet if we're gonna if I'm bringing the podcast equipment to talk after the game. Um, might have to. Uh, if if nothing else, we'll get the phone out and we'll just start doing a pod uh, there. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, the schedule kind of stinks. I'll be honest. Like it's just not conducive for podcasting or anybody else. Also, two kegs to Rudy Ford's near miracle. David Moore, you know, had that game-breaking touchdown to basically put this in the coffin for the Packers. And David Moore was sprinting down the field and thought he had a touchdown. Rudy Ford nearly poked that ball out. Like it, it was, if it was two, it was like a 60-yard catch instead of a 52-yard catch. Rudy Ford knocked that ball out of the end zone, and the Packers have a shot. Uh, but it was great effort by Rudy Ford. Deserves a ton of credit. It just sucks that it was like one yard too long. Uh, one keg to Devondre Campbell. We already talked about that. Uh, Bubba is washed. Uh, he is absolutely washed. Uh, this is really ugly uh, for Campbell. He's going to continue to get picked on. I, I wonder if they will go with Isaiah McDuffie. I don't think Isaiah McDuffie is that much better than Campbell, but he's more athletic at this point. Uh, Campbell is completely kind of done, and that sucks, and that happens, though. I mean, and again, that's part of that Brian Gunnikus conversation. If he's given gave money to Campbell – didn't really work out. Gave money to Jair. Didn't really work out. Uh, it, it has not necessarily been a great year for Brian Gunacoust and big contracts on that defense. Uh, also, one keg, two zone defense. We talked about it, how awful the zone was for the Green Bay Packers. It was it was absolutely terrible. Here Here's the stats from Next Gen uh, NFL as well. Baker Mayfield completed 20 of 24 against zone coverage for 361 and three touchdowns. Mayfield threw a TD pass on all three levels for the third time of his career, meaning like he threw on short, he threw on long, he threw on in the middle. Uh, also the fact that most of what Baker Mayfield completed was against zone. So he, he had 28 passes total. So that means that he was four against the zone. He, and he completed two. So he was like two of four against the zone, which still isn't that great, not great either. So, but I mean, just unbelievable bad. Just so bad for the Green Bay Packer defense. Uh, the PI on Mike Evans, I, like I, I know some people said it was a horrible call, and Evans exaggerated. I don't know. Ballantyne was holding him, and that was such a big play in the game because they get a touchdown on the play after that. And if Corey Ballantyne just plays defense and doesn't grab Mike Evans, and I know Mike Evans is a great receiver. I know that you got to cheat a little bit against great receivers, but you got to make your cheating less subtle. And if he did that, who knows? You know, maybe the Packers get a stop. You know, they would have, Tampa would have had to have a long field goal at that point. Um, who knows? Maybe it would have changed how, how things went. Uh, and then just Tommy DeVito being awful against the Saints. Just shows you what happens with a good defense, as we talked about earlier. But yeah, overall, a very frustrating Sunday for the Green Bay Packers. And just, you know, you're picking up the pieces. And I, I think... Out of, in terms of the losses this season, that's way up there. I, it might be the worst one of the year. I know that's might be hyperbole, but the Raiders' loss was really bad. Uh, the Broncos' loss sucked. The Falcons' loss sucked. The Lions' loss, I, I think, got redeemed by the fact you were able to beat uh, Detroit in Detroit. But, yeah, I mean, all the goodwill that you had after beating the Lions and the Chiefs has really been flushed down the toilet. All right, let's get happy. How about it, right? Uh, after a really rough Packers game, we had Milwaukee Bucks Sunday night. 
And the Bucs have struggled on Sunday nights or Sundays so far this year. Uh, they had the game against Portland where they were really bad and they pulled one out of their ass. They got blown out by Atlanta. Um, and so you wondered, okay, oh, what Bucks team's going to show up? Are, are the Bucs going to actually not Sunday Bucks it? And they didn't. Uh, they dominated the Houston Rockets, uh, 128 to 119. I know that doesn't sound like domination, but they were in control that entire game. And putting up 128 against the Rockets team that's second best defensively in the NBA and in full control. They also didn't play with their food at all against the Detroit Pistons who are completely hapless and were able to win that game going away. And the Bucks look like they're turning the corner. It looks like the Milwaukee Bucks are starting to be the team that we all expected them to be at the start of the year. And if you've listened to this podcast, one thing that I've sort of banged the drum on is it took the Miami Heat with LeBron and with Bosh and Wade, it took them a while to get going. People wanted Eric Spolstra fired. There was a lot of discourse back then about, you know, the Miami Heat getting off to this slow start. I think they were 12 and eight after November. And then they absolutely ran through in December and January and were the team that we all expected. Another example that were, was used was Emma Udoka's Boston Celtics, who were 25 and 25. Defensively, they were great, but offensively, they were complete shit. And then the Celtics got absolutely red hot, bought in, and were one of the best teams you know, down the stretch and made it all the way to the NBA Finals. Adrian Griffin has unlocked things offensively for this, Green, this Milwaukee Bucks team. And the Bucks have looked really good offensively. I mean, 140 points in back-to-back games. Then you have 128 against one of the best defenses in the NBA. The Bucs are just playing at another level offensively with Damian Lillard, Giannis, Chris Middleton, Andre Jackson Jr. we're gonna talk about. Like, they have looked like a well-oiled machine here really in the last four games. I mean, even that, that Chicago game, which got, went to overtime, Offensively, the Bucs were good, and I, I defended that a little bit because I feel like Chicago has been better, right? They beat the Heat on the road uh, one game this weekend. They lost on a, on a Jimmy Butler buzzer beater in their back-to-back against Miami where it was like, oh, they're hungover, but they came all the way back to force that, and then Butler hit, hit a shot at the end to beat them. But like, I, I think that this was such a good week for the Milwaukee Bucks, and I, I think the game ball stuff was a galvanizing moment was a, a moment to bring everybody together. The locker room seems extremely loose. The fact Giannis brought his kids on the bench. Uh, the fact that I, I saw one guy was like, the Bucks locker room sounds like a daycare center. I think that's cool. Like, I, I think it's awesome that a bunch of ki- kids are hanging out, whether it's Dame's kids, Giannis kids. I think Chris has kids too. Like everybody's kids are just hanging out, you know, having a good time in that locker room. I think that's important. I think that's, that's part of the team bonding. That's part of the team unity. And it seems like these guys are really starting to figure out how to play with each other. And they knew that this was coming. They knew that this was a possibility. And it's just very exciting at this point. Uh, and this sort of is the box that I think we all expected at the start of the year and we're now getting it. And I feel like those who kind of held their water and those who sort of stuck with the plan and didn't call for Griffin's job or call for this complete restructure, rebuild are looking like roses. Um, it looked rough after that Indiana game. And I, I think that was you know, a point where we all sort of saw it as, and I'm saying the Indiana, the in-season tournament game, where we all thought, okay, maybe this team you know, is, is actually not 
what we thought they were going to be. And maybe they do need to move on. And maybe there is, you know, change that's needed. And then the Bucks sort of, you know, pulled it around. What a difference a week plus makes, right? And so I'm really impressed with what I've seen from the Milwaukee Bucks this weekend. And I, I realize that Detroit's not very good. But if you... And when I say not very good, I mean, they're awful. I, mean, I, should, I should even go as far to say, like, they are completely one of the worst teams maybe ever in NBA history. But the fact is, is those teams have really played tough against the Bucs. The Bucs have made it hard on themselves. They did not at all. They, they were up by 21 at halftime, and they, they won going away. And so that, to me, is very important, you know, for the maturation of the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, and it was a really good one for Milwaukee. And I, I just come away impressed. I know I said that a couple times, but it, it, it was that de- they definitely won the weekend here in the state of Wisconsin. Andre Jackson Jr. was another guy who was a big weekend winner. Uh, he looked apart on both sides of the ball. Uh, Andre Jackson played great, you know, in both of those games and really, you know, added a spark to the offense. And I, I think a lot of Bucks fans want Andre Jackson to stay in that you know role, I think that that is a hope for Bucks fans that Andre Jackson Jr. is going to get that sort of role continued, and that he is going to replace Michael Be- uh, Mikel Beasley. I did that on uh, on my review this week too. But Andre Jackson Jr. had nine points in the game against the Houston Rockets. He had ten, which was a career high against the Detroit Pistons. He added six rebounds, four assists in the game against. Houston, and then in the game against Detroit, what did he have all, all the box for? 10, eight rebounds, nearly a double-double. Uh, the only thing really with Jackson Jr. that you worry about is the fouls. He had 10 fouls over the weekend. Like, he is a little too aggressive, uh, and if you get the wrong ref, that's going to hurt Jackson Jr., and that's why I felt like he was going to get protected. Like, my long you know, form or long-term prediction for this Bucks team was that Jackson Jr. was going to be part of the starters, but it was going to take time. And maybe we're here. Maybe we're already here that Jackson Jr. can play that that part and can be that sort of complement defense to Dame Lillard and help Dame Lillard out on the perimeter and really be more of a team guy and be a connector for this Bucks team with a bunch of guys that want to initiate offense. And I think that that is the concern with Beasley is that Beasley wants to initiate offense. He wants his shots too, even though he's the fifth guy and maybe that hurts the offense. And I think the Bucks have a really tough decision to make because even if you're clamoring for uh, Jackson Jr. to start, Beasley's been really good as, as, a, as with that first unit. Like they have one of the best offensive ratings or best net ratings, excuse me, not even offensive. They have one of the best net ratings in basketball in the last 15 games. Like they that that unit has been great together. And as our guy Shaken, who I'm gonna mention again about Dame Lillard here in a second, Shaken, you know, talked about it on Friday's show about how Beasley gives a shit defensively. Like, even if people say, Oh, he's not that good of a defender, like I he tries and he does as, as good as he can. And so I think that it's a little overstated that his defense is a detriment. So I just wonder, you know, will Beasley still get that opportunity? Will or will they ride the hot hand of Jackson Jr.? I I think, you know, depending on what the illness is, uh, which he's battling, and will we see him on Tuesday? Or will they say, hey, look, 
get fully healthy, get yourself back conditioned wise. Like we we're okay without you. And I know that that's a shitty feeling as a player, but I, I do wonder would the Bucks, you know, kind of do that with him. And maybe we don't see Beasley till Thursday. Um, but I, I'd be very curious to see if Beasley's back on, you know, tomorrow, if he's going to be in the starting lineup or not. And if he is, how do then they sprinkle in Jackson Jr.? You know, if Jackson Jr.'s minutes are more like 20, 25, is he playing with Giannis and Dame at all times? Or is it just Jackson Jr. in with the second unit? I think it's kind of a detriment to the Bucks' offense and defense for that matter if you don't have Jackson Jr. with one of the guys. I realize sometimes rotations, you know, don't work that way. But I think if you can, you want Jackson Jr. out there with one of the guys because of that connective sort of way he plays basketball, I think really helps, you know, the star players. And I also think, you know, the last thought on this sort of Jackson Jr. versus Bees, and I know Damon Bees, and I, I think Giannis and Bees have a pretty good relationship. But if Giannis and Dame and Chris, for that matter, tell Griff, like, hey, we need to play the young guy. We need to play the Rook. They're going to do it. And, I, you know, Griff listens to the guys. And as someone pointed out, if Bud was running this team, we Jackson Jr. would be in Oshkosh right now. We would not even know uh, what Jackson Jr. could do. So for all of those who have been anti-Griff guys, I, I just want to point out that there's no way Mike Boonholzer would have given uh, Andre Jackson Jr. the time of day. Another winner is Damian Lillard. Uh, I Again, I, I go back to what Shaken said on, on Friday. Really poignant shit because he was like, look, I kind of ran the numbers. It seems like Damian Lillard just kind of finds it right around Christmas. It has trended that way. You know, 30 games into the season, he really starts to get going. And sure enough, it's kind of like Aramis Ramirez in the month of June. Uh, for If you know, you know. And Damian Lillard's definitely kind of having, you know, putting it all together. He had 33 against Detroit uh, in limited minutes, five assists. And then he had a, a double-double, had an amazing, probably best game in terms of stats against Houston with 39, 11 assists, five rebounds. Uh, and he also had three steals, by the way, and 62% from three. It was five of eight from three, three-point land. And if that's what you're getting, you know, regularly from Damian Lillard on top of Giannis 26 and 17 against Houston, you're fucked. There's no one who can beat that. There's no one who can arguably beat what the Bucs were able to do. And is Damian Lillard's point production, you know, because Michael Mikel Beasley's not in there? I, I mean, that's another part of that first discussion we had. I think you at least have to wonder that. And you have to see, well, is that part of it? Or is it just Damian Lillard starting to be more comfortable in this offense? And I think it's maybe a little bit of both, right? And you're definitely seeing a comfort level for Dame Lillard that wasn't there two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And that's a huge development for the Bucs going forward. And I want to see it against a good team now. Like, I I think the Rockets are good, but but I'm talking like, I want to see it against the Celtics. I kind of want to see it against the Cavs. I know I think that'll be the next test even the magic i think i I think i'd put the magic with the rockets where it's like early season surprises but i want to see it against you know a top tier team to see how real this all is and i'm not saying i don't believe in it i I believe in it wholly fully but i I just want to see it now with you know one of the better teams and see if damian can be disconnected against you know the best of the best in the NBA. You know, that's that's kind of the next step for me in terms of really buying in. Uh, another couple things on the Bucs. Uh, Chris went in the closer role in that fourth quarter against Houston. Uh, 20 points for Chris. 
in that game where he really struggled. Like, he had a rough first three quarters. and was like, oh, fuck, you know, bad Chris night, which happens, right? Like, every guy has bad nights. And then he comes on really strong in that fourth quarter and really kind of found his spots and, you know, finishes with 20 points in 29 minutes. And that's a really good day for Chris Middleton. And the, the box score looks a lot better than what it was on the court, right? And just had a great fourth quarter. And I think it was mentioned in the broadcast, like each guy sort of took their turns and had their own quarters. And again, this is, this is how you have a good team is you have different guys who, and no one needs to be the man for an entire game. Sometimes you just are, right? When Yaz at 64, he was the man the entire fucking game. But there are some days where you don't need to necessarily be the man from start to finish. And that's what we saw against Houston on Sunday night. Uh, Bobby had a great game against Detroit. 31 off the bench is incredible. I, I mean, I know it's Detroit, but I mean, to be able to score 30 off the bench is something else. Uh, so credit to him. You know, he's, he's kind of came on strong too. I, I feel like as, as people have said, he's, he's heard the trade machine tweets. Uh, people have, you know, put Bobby in that conversation. I just don't think that's happening. I think, again, you're gonna, he's going to find his role with this team and figure out, you know, where, where he fits in perfectly. And I, I think the Bucs will get there, you know, once they have their bench fully back. And then, I, you know, I, I, as I said, I, I can't say enough about the Bucs not playing with their food. And now you, you have three more games this week, uh, as well as Christmas on Monday. Uh, but I mean, you if two more home games here with the San Antonio Spurs coming to town on Tuesday, Victor Webinyama versus Giannis, first time matchup that you'll see on Tuesday. And then on Thursday, the Magic, who you owe from getting your asses kicked earlier in the year, they didn't have Dame for that matchup. So hopefully they can kind of get their revenge on a Magic team that I think will be still on a very long road trip. So that might work to the Bucks' favor that the Magic might be just ready to go home for Christmas. I do think that happens even in the pro level where guys are kind of checked out or they're like, okay, oh no, they head home, sorry. They were in Boston, I thought they were gonna stay home. No, they go to my, they actually have a really kind of difficult schedule. They, they'll be on a back-to-back, they're home to play Miami and then they play the Bucks, and then they have a day off before uh, Indiana on the 23rd on the road. And they'll have Christmas on the road because they'll go to Washington on the 26th, unless they'll head home for a few days. Uh, but that's kind of a brutal schedule. Uh, Orlando, actually, speaking of which, like they have a lot of road games. Holy hell. Like I, I don't look at other teams' schedules, you know, because I don't really care that much. But my goodness, they have quite the quite the road road schedule here upcoming. Uh, that's crazy. But anyways, uh, so the Bucs don't get the advantage that I thought they would. And then they head to New York for two games against the Knicks, which I kind of hate uh, for Christmas. Uh, they played the Knicks at 11.30 on Saturday morning. Uh, as our, our Bucks team has not necessarily done well in those early games. Uh, that does not feel like it's going to go well. But the Bucs always seem, you know, Giannis always seems to wake up for Madison Square Garden. The fact that they do back-to-back early games, I actually think helps the Bucs. Uh, it probably helps them more in that Christmas Day game. But uh, it, that's definitely a disadvantage uh, to Milwaukee. That's like playing back-to-back games in Miami, which the Bucks did last year, which was like you knew right away. And the second game was like a noon game on ABC. You're like, ah, oh, that's you gotta chalk that up. That that's that's a definite loss. Um, all right, moving on to Marquette. So Marquette gets ready also to start the Big East on. Tuesday, and I thought what would be helpful for those who maybe are like, all right, now I'm getting into college basketball. Football is getting close to over. Conference play is starting. I need to kind of dial in, and I, I want to start watching more college basketball. And I've, it, you know, kind of pitched 
why you should get on the Marquette bandwagon. And Marquette played with their food. They actually, it was weird. It was like a freaky Friday swap between the Bucks and Marquette where the Bucks took care of business, but Marquette played with their food against St. Thomas and nearly lost that game. Were able to survive. And good little, good little reminder that if you're not your best, teams are going to come after you because you have a target on your back. You're top, top team, and they'll be heading to Providence on Tuesday, a place that has given them fits in the past, a place they lost in double overtime last year, where Providence mis- mysteriously had 48 free throw attempts. Uh, the mob, you know, controls the refs there, I swear. Uh, but I, I kind of wanted to start looking at Marquette's schedule and look at sort of the Big East opponents that they're going to have, you know, upcoming here and kind of check in with where they've been, you know, during this season. Uh, Providence, you know, they do have a common opponent, uh, Marquette and Providence. They played Wisconsin. They beat Wisconsin's ass early in the season, 72 to 59. Probably Wisconsin's worst loss of the year, honestly. Uh, but other than that, they've they've struggled against, you know, top-tier teams. They got blown out by Oklahoma on the road. Uh, they lost to Kansas in overtime on a neutral location, which was, where was that? That was in the Bahamas. And they, they lost that in overtime to Kansas. Uh, we were able to beat Georgia, but Georgia's, you know, uh, not a, not the same team that Marquette is. Their, def- their defense has been really good this year. 21st in Ken Palm with a 94.5 over 100, you know, in terms of rating. But they have not played any offenses worth a damn. Uh, they, their strength schedule has been pretty weak despite, you know, playing, uh, you know, Wisconsin, Oklahoma, Kansas State. They really have not played a, a tough schedule. It's 300th in terms of Ken Palm. So that's a massive advantage for Marquette uh, heading into this game. Uh, but that place is a really tough place to play. Uh, they know that that's a chance for a resume win. They have experience. They have guys who've played against Marquette before. Uh, but definitely a coaching advantage. I think Kim English is a good coach. I just think he'll, you know, as a young coach, you're gonna get exposed a little bit in the Big East play. So we'll sort of see what happens. After uh, Marquette takes on the Providence Friars, they head home to play Georgetown on Friday night, which should be a pretty, hopefully a rowdy crowd. You know, it's Friday, Christmas weekend. Nobody really has jobs, responsibilities that heading that weekend. Six o'clock's a rough start. Uh, I would love that at eight o'clock, but it it should be relatively rowdy. Uh, Georgetown is still in their rebuilding phase uh, with Ed Cooley. Uh, Georgetown has also played a cupcake schedule. They've even played a more cupcake schedule than Providence, 350 out of 363. So they've played one of the easiest schedules in all of college basketball. They're seven and four on the year. When they've stepped up to the big leagues, they've gotten kind of their nose slapped besides nearly beating TCU at home. Uh, TCU is the best team they faced, uh, but they lost to Rutgers, you know, away. They got blown out at home by Syracuse. Uh, they were able to beat an Notre Dame team that Marquette blew out in overtime uh, last Saturday on the road. So if that's where they're at, if they're at the Notre Dame level, that's not going to go well. Ed Cooley has done well against Shock Smart in his time at Providence, but I... I don't necessarily see it for Georgetown this year. I think Georgetown is still going to be the bottom of the barrel. I think their matchups are going to be harder. I think when you go to Georgetown, uh, which Marquette will do, let's see, later in the year, right? They, oh yeah, like the the third of February, like that'll be difficult. Like that will be difficult going on the road to play Georgetown. I, I think you know Ed Cooley will make this more of a fortress, and I also think Georgetown will be a better team in March than they are right now. So. Um, I, I definitely think that is that works to Marquette's advantage. Uh, they're kind of at that Notre Dame level. Uh, and, you know, that should be a pretty easy one for the Golden Eagles. 
after Georgetown, they play Creighton. Uh, Creighton's been an interesting thing this year, right? So Creighton lost to UNLV and Colorado State, which isn't good. They were able to beat Alabama at home. It was a three-point game. It was close. Uh, they, they, Alabama nearly tied it with a shot. Uh, it's 85-82 to 82 on Saturday. I, I didn't have as many eyes as I want to on that game. We were watching football at uh, the Christmas party I was at. Uh, but they've, they've had a decent, you know, they've had a hard-ish schedule. I wouldn't say that they've, they've played the creme de la creme. Uh, they will only have one game before their matchup against Marquette. It'll be their first conference road game. Uh, it should be a pretty rowdy environment. Uh, that Creighton-Marquette rivalry has gotten sort of, I wouldn't say it's out of fever pitch, but it's it's a legitimate rivalry. Uh, I don't think Creighton fans really like Shock Smart. I don't think Marquette fans really like Greg McDermott. Um, I, I think that that is a real rivalry between those two teams. And it'll be, and, and I think Creighton also does not play, the style they play works against them with Marquette because Marquette wants teams to pack to paint and they don't pack to paint. They allow so much at the basket and and so much inside the arc that I actually think that really works to Marquette's advantage and why they've been pretty pretty successful against Creighton. Uh, and this will certainly be different uh, in terms of the Pfizer 4 matchup because last year, you know, Creighton was battling all those mono and all that health issues. And now they, they have a pretty healthy team and, you know, they bring everybody back and we'll certainly see what, what happens, you know, with Marquette and Creighton in that matchup. It'll be exciting. I'll be in the building for that one. Cannot wait. Marquette will have a week off before playing Seton Hall. Um, and we'll, we won't do the entire Big East. Uh, we'll talk about the rest of it. We'll do the first five. Seton Hall had a nice win against Missouri uh, on the road on Sunday, actually, yesterday. But when they've played, you know, top-tier competition, Baylor, even USC, who hasn't had a great non-con, they haven't been good. Uh, they've played a decently tough non-con schedule. Uh, obviously, the target will be on Marquette's back because it'll be on the road. Uh, Seton Hall, not an easy place to play. Marquette was able to win that game. They get UConn, you know, early on. They'll have three games of Big East play heading into that one. Uh, two on the road, one at home. That's a rough start for your home schedule to go Connecticut and Marquette. I guess you get it out of the way early and you have an opportunity if you can go one out of two in that. That, that kind of sets you up for a potential, you know, having building a case for a at-large tournament team. But yeah, I I don't necessarily see it with Seton Hall. Uh, Shane Holloway, it, you know, has Kadari Richmond, who's been here for what, fucking seven years. Uh, away Wuso from St. John's, who killed Marquette last year, is also on this team. So I, I don't, I, I haven't really been impressed with Seton Hall. I don't think I'm like, wow, Seton Hall is certainly on my radar. Uh, I wouldn't put them there. And then lastly, Butler. Uh, Butler, to me, out of the, the teams we've talked about, you know, in terms of that first five for Marquette, Butler's been interesting. Now, they've struggled against, you know, top tier teams. They got blown out by Michigan State. They lost a close one to Florida Atlantic. Like they hung in there with Florida Atlantic. Uh, but they've played a really tough schedule so far. Uh, you know, maybe not really tough, but they've played a tough enough schedule that they've played a lot of power five, power six teams. So I, I think that, and they've only lost two of them. And the two they lost were Michigan State and Florida Atlantic. I think Butler on the road might not be the team that you see at home. Like I think that game in Hinkle becomes a lot more difficult than what it's been the last few years. I think Thad Mata, obviously being a good coach, kind of has finally found the guys that make sense for his offense. And so, yeah, you really have sort of a, a, a Butler team that's improved. So I, I think that, you know, in terms of the outlook for Marquette for the first five, I don't think it's a difficult first five. I think, you know, there are, you know, the Creighton game is obviously tough, but that's at home. 
you know, pr- starting down the road with Providence, yeah, the target's going to be on your back, but it kind of ingratiates you right away. Um, and it's pre-holiday and then post-holiday you're on the road, but you're not like away from family. I think that's really nice from Marquette. And it's it's balanced, right? It's not like you're going back to back road games that doesn't start till the the like middle of January. So I, I think right now Marquette needs to take advantage of all the home games they have early on. I believe. Let's see here. So you have Villanova, Butler. Four out of the first six are at home. Start for Marquette in the Big East, and you got to take advantage of that. They've they've won, I believe, thirteen straight at home. So you know you got to keep that up. And even though the Big East has had some bad non con losses. Uh, they're still right now in terms of Ken Palm rated for fourth overall conference wise, Big 12 being at the top and kind of separating themselves. But the Big 10, SEC and Big East are all kind of lumped in together. And they're kind of in that second tier with the Pac-12 and the ACC being underneath them. So it's kind of a three tier thing. Big 12's on their own. Then it's the Big Ten, the SEC, and the Big East all lumped in together. And then you have the Pac-12 and, and the ACC. So that, And, and that kind of, I think, from what I've seen this year in college basketball, that makes sense. I think I, think I could say that pretty soundly. Uh, I will also say from a you know, Marquette resume perspective that Kansas win keeps looking fucking better. I mean, they beat Indiana on the road. Uh, they... They, they, they beat Connecticut at home too, right? That was a good win for them as well. That's the only, Connecticut's only loss. Yep, that's correct. So, and then Purdue keeps winning. Purdue looks like the best team in basketball right now so far college-wise. So that Marquette resume is just up, up, up. I know UCLA keeps losing, but still, the res, you know, I think UCLA kind of like we just talked about with Georgetown at a, at a higher level is going to get much better come February. So I think that win's going to look better as the year goes on. All right. That does it for today's show. Uh, we, like I said, as long as Joe Barry has a job, we won't be here tomorrow. But if Joe Barry does get fired, we will uh, we'll probably have, have a special bonus pod uh, tomorrow. Or if Mitch wants to do uh, today, Mitch and I will get on and chat it up. All right. Take care, guys. Have yourself a good Monday. Sorry I got this up late. Uh, I hope you guys are okay with that. All right. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.